And then I went to this guided meditation. I'm lying in my back in the yurt, resenting the fact that I'm not like soaking in a hot tub and I'm lying there in the yurt. <laughs> and this woman takes us down, you know, down a path in the garden into a now this long, long journey down into basically is kind of like a ravine, beautiful ravine. And now your guide is gonna come in. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. And I looked up and there was the same guide with the robe barreling down the hill, out of breath, holding these two scrolls. It looked almost like the Torah. You know, I'm thinking, what the hell is this? But clearly he'd been summoned. And he basically looked at me and he said, stop trying to explain to people who you are. You don't know. Hi, and welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is spiritual channel Paul Selig. Paul is a psychic gifted with the skill of clairvoyance. He is also sometimes described as, quote, a medium for the living. For those of you unfamiliar with Paul's work, he channels wisdom and truth from a group of guides who speak through him. And you'll hear this today during what became a bit of a session for me. I ask for guidance and for some insight into my personal concerns, and hopefully it's not too self-indulgent. Paul is the award-winning author of many channeled books, including I Am the Word, The Book of Love and Creation, The Book of Mastery, and most recently, The Book of Freedom. Of course, Paul will tell you that he transcribes these books rather than writes them, that the true authors of these books are his guides. This is the second time that Paul has been a guest on Voices of Esalen, and as happened the first time, I kind of lost control of any powers of articulation or critical thinking during this interview, and more or less stumbled my way through, for which I apologize. My hope is that for those of you who listen to this interview, that you too may lose some of your powers of critical thinking, judgment, and in the process, perhaps absorb a somewhat supernatural source of wisdom. And my hope is that you gain something of value from this conversation. I wanted to start off our, our questions today by asking you about the, the process of being a channeling writer. Well, I'm, I'm a channel and the guides that I work with are actually dictating the books. So I don't even really think of myself as a writer anymore. My name appears on the cover of these things, but I'm not the author. I actually sit in a chair and now the books are done in front of an audience. So I sit in a chair, I close my eyes, I hear one phrase repeated again and again until I give it voice and then it all comes out. And then those... Um, recordings are transcribed and the unedited recordings become the books and the guides say you know this is in the book and this is the beginning of chapter three and and that's how these things unfold i i had been a playwright in my youth and um had been very very blocked and when this stuff started i was fascinated because it was so immediate the first book was dictated over the course of two two and a half weeks um you know, and I was doing about two-hour sessions every day. Um, now the books take maybe 30 days total because I'm not necessarily working, you know, in a compact form. I'm doing it over the course of workshops that are public. But really the amount of time spent on a book is so ridiculously small. It takes longer to type it than it does to render it in dictation. I was kind of enjoying your introduction to your most recent book. And it's written sort of, to me, it was it was sort of funny, tongue-in-cheek, in, in that you, you spoke about it, there really not being any joy, any egoic joy around the, the process. That wasn't tongue-in-cheek, actually. It's funny that you mentioned that. And it's really, I think, how it started off. 
and I don't remember exactly what I said, but I probably said something like, you know, there's there's little or no creative joy in, in bringing forth a channel book. I mean, if you're a writer and you understand craft, you understand editing and going back and refinement and all of those things and the rules that I've been abiding by with all of these texts is I don't get to go back and change it. And so there's something frighteningly immediate and naked about the transmission. There's nothing, there's no going back. And if they're doing something that they say is in the book and they're doing it in front of an assemblage of 100 people, there's a witness to this event happening. And I've learned to sort of ride with that. There may be a craft to channeling. There may be skill involved in channeling, but what my job is, is to render as accurately as I can what's coming through me. And I do tend to make a real distinction that others may not between channel material and inspired material. I can be an inspired writer on my own and have inspiration and go back and craft it. But with these things, they just come out fully formed. And the idea of there, if it being a joyful process, channeling itself can be a joyful process. What's it, be, what's it like in your body as you channel? Oh, um, boy, I wish you hadn't asked me this today, because today and yesterday I've been channeling here at Esalen, and I've gotten really rocked physically by it. They're really sort of entering more fully, but they're also teaching the body in a way that is, you know, challenging for me personally. They're, cheat, they're, they're teaching the, the inherent divinity of form. And the divine as form, the divine as your larynx and your eyes and the chair you're sitting in and the walls around you and and the rearticulation of form is what they call it in the higher octave. They say that there's a higher octave of expression, which is really the realm of the true self or the divine self. Sometimes they call it the kingdom. And they're actually sort of working with the students really to lift them to this experience, which is, again, somewhat somatic. I mean, we're all sitting there feeling this energy just course through us. I mean, which is what's happening for me right now as you speak. Yeah, well, you're, you're, we're, we're in it right now. And I'm probably, I mean, I'm not doing anything. I'm just being with you. But what the guides say is you become, you become the chord played in this high octave. You become the chord. And the chord in its resonance calls to it everything that it encounters and lifts it to the higher, what they call the upper room or higher octave. So that's been the process that I've been engaged in. The process of channeling physically for me is awkward. You know, it's never been terribly graceful. I see sometimes, because I don't watch other channels work, but I'll see a snippet, you know, rolling by on social media and somebody looks very elegant and graceful as they're sort of claiming these things. And I'm sitting there in a chair, you know, whispering the words and repeating them, sometimes a mile a minute, all this week in a British accent, which hasn't happened in a while, which, you know, is, is, is strange enough. And my body doesn't move like I move. So I don't realize how rigid I've become sometimes in channel until I am unplugged. And my eyes often turn um, a very, very pale blue and I have hazel eyes, you know. And that's happened in every workshop as well. And people are surprised when they say, what color are your eyes? And I say, well, they're, they're hazel. And then they say, well, that, that wasn't what we were seeing. So there's a whole physical phenomena that's attached to this that I may never understand. Do you find that students uh, of yours who return to your, your classes time and time again, uh, part of the reason they're coming is 
to be in that field as much as the the words they're receiving? Absolutely. I mean, my biggest problem being a channel has always been that I'm the channel. And for years, when I was bringing through information, I was dismissive of the information because I was interested in the energy, because you can't fake the energy. So if the energy is there, you can move into your own knowing. Mm. And that's really important. You know, I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I have no interest in that stuff. I'm happy to show up and be participatory to this. But there is um, a phenomena that occurs in the channeling and the students are actually taught to work with the energy that the guides bring through to support them in lifting the world. I mean, this is really, I guess, about the guide said it yesterday, said it really is about becoming a portal to the higher octave. You become the portal, which actually calls things to it or lifts it up through through being, you know, it's less effort than just being. Can we address the fact that the listeners to this podcast currently may be feeling the energy as well, that it's transmitted through this this medium? Well, it is often, you know, I'm not intentionally transmitting anything, but I've been sitting in it and I've been channeling now for a week and a half without a break, which is the longest I'm done you know, five hours a day of, of doing this. So I'm all amped up. There are attunements that the guides work with, and I can give you an attunement, and you, your listeners can do the attunement, and they may well feel the vibration because that's one of the ways they work. The guides say that the language that they use is encoded, um, and that'll support you in tuning the radio that you are to play what they say is the higher broadcast. We'll do it. So they're saying we will do it. So if they're going to come through this early in the interview, we're sunk. But they're saying we will do it. So say this after. So they're saying say this after us. I know who I am in truth. I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I am free, I am free, I am free. I am free, I am free, I am free. Now say this if you wish. I am in the upper room. I am in the upper room. I am in the upper room. There you go. They just took you right there. They usually do a whole process, but I'm going to stay out of it. So... You know, the upper room, they say, is is an octave of expression of consciousness that exists concurrent with ours. And we've been somewhat limited by the um, the notes that can be played in the octave that we're used to. And they say that the claim, I am free, I am free, I am free, is lifting beyond the collective agreement of what can be experienced. And it's important to me personally that people have an experience of the energy or that you're having an experience of the energy because it means you can claim your own authority within it. Do you understand that? It's not about deference. It's about Mm. alignment. This is all about attunement and alignment and expression. Those are the steps. You attune to the energy, you align to the energy, and then you express as the energy. How do you do this for the benefit of all? I, I kind of wanted to ask you, um, most of my inquiry f- for this interview, is, it will be kind of themed around the, the same subject. Is there an evil to, to humans? Are, are the things that I'm seeing right now, the, the rampant populism, the, 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 the ecological destruction, the transcontinental racism, I, I think it's obvious what I'm, what I'm speaking about. There's this tendency that's, uh, 
and I, I can't look away from it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll do what I can with this, and if they're going to jump in and correct me, they may, you know, because they don't talk about evil, per se. They mm. talk about gradation mm. of high and low. They say that the action of fear is to claim more fear, and any action you take in fear is in support of more fear. They say, just look at your life, look at the last choice you made because you were afraid or were invited to be afraid and see what it got you. And so everything that you are describing, I would suspect, would be called iterations of fear. Greed is fear. You know, greed is the belief in lack. You know, the, the need to control others is fear. The need to dominate is fear. And these are all things that the guides would say are, are expressions of the small self or the personality structure that believes itself to be separate. So these are all acts that reinforce an idea of separation. Now, because the guides that work through me have said on a lot of occasions that nothing can be outside of God, everything is God, or no thing is of God, and by God they mean, I don't know, it's the energy that expresses that is in manifestation or articulation is everything we see. It's all one note, they say, being expressed in different forms. I asked about fear, and I said, you know, if... God is all things. What about fear? And they said, pretty much, you know, fear is of God, but doesn't acknowledge itself as such. So it's operating, you know, in separation. And the purpose of this teaching, as I understand it, is to realize unity. So that was my mouthful of stuff. I'm going to see if they want to correct me what you were talking about. They're saying what you were talking about are iterations of fear, are iterations of fear, the denial of God, and the denial of God. God in nature, God in nature, God in your brother, God in your brother, God in anything you can see, God in anything you can see to realize the divine, to realize the divine, fully realize it, fully realize it comes at the cost of known, comes at the cost of the known, and the known you are releasing, and the known you are releasing as an idea is an idea that you cannot be known, that you cannot be known by the divine, by the divine, cannot be loved, cannot cannot be loved by the source of all things, by the source of all things. If you are willing to relinquish this, the change will come rapidly, the changes will come rapidly in the claim we offer you now. And the claim we offer you now, I am known, 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 the claim of the divine self, the claim of the divine self and its recognition in its recognition of unity, of unity will support you if you wish, will support you if you wish in a higher alignment, in a higher alignment to go into with fear see to go into agreement with the fear that you see is to align to that fear is to align to that fear and co-create wish it and co-create with it to rise above the fear to rise above the fear supports you in lifting what you see supports you in lifting what you see to what we call the upper room to what we call the upper room and the upper room is a strata and the upper room is a strata or octave if you prefer or octave if you prefer of expression of expression any piece of music any piece of music may be played in any key may be played in any key and in any octave and in any octave into infinity into infinity to translate your world to translate your world to the upper room to the upper room or higher octave or higher octave is to reside there first is to reside there first and then lift what you see and then lift what you see to its inherent divine nature to its inherent divine nature this is the teaching of realization this is the teaching of realization we'll teach you this and we will teach you this as you ask us the questions as you ask us the questions, period, period. They're saying period. 
And Paul, do you find yourself curious about the guides? Yes, and and, and perplexed, uh-huh. frankly. And, um, you know, some days I think if I had a, a real meditation practice, when they actually gave me in the whole class one yesterday, which surprised me because they're not big on practice, but they gave one, which was all about moving beyond the denial of possibility, you know, I may, it can be so, it could be so. It's all about elasticizing consciousness beyond the restrictions that we've enforced that prevent us from having having a higher experience. But I used to say, you know, if I had a, a good practice, I'd probably see them all the time, you know what I mean? It would be easy, you know. My experience is clairaudience and clairsentience, and those are two specific skill sets. Clairaudience is clear hearing, and in this case, I suspect it's, it's telepathic. It's not like I'm hearing them as a voice in the corner of the studio. I'm, it's a thought that comes through and sort of blocks out the other thoughts and takes precedence and has its own texture and own vocabulary, its own you know strange quirks of speech that I've become somewhat comfortable with, which is how I'm identifying it, and the feeling of it, which is always comparable in in its energy, you know, I trust it. I mean, when I've asked, you know, they give different answers. My favorite answer has been, we are who you become when you know what you are. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they call themselves the true self. The true self, they also call the Christ or the Christed self, the monad, the divine self, you know, and the name they've given when they've given one has been Melchizedek, which is an old name in a priesthood, a lineage of priesthood, I suppose, that has been around a hell of a long time. Do you have a feeling of uh, the number of guides that you have or is it vary or is it? No, I mean, not when I'm working. I've had people watch me work who were clairvoyant and see a bunch of them. So you got a bunch of monks around you today, you know, and it's like, oh, so I've heard a lot about the monks that show up. Um, the first time I ever did a reading from one of these books, it was when I was in my, I was an academic for 25 years. You know, I had an academic life. I was not publicly seeking to be known for this work, but I finally had something that had been published. So I dragged out the channel book at a faculty reading and there was a, a very good psychic in the back row who said when you were finished, a whole row of monks showed up and took a bow, along with this one guide that was super, super tall. Everybody talks about the super, super tall guide with a big hat, which is the one that I, I know and have had some encounter with. You know him. I've seen it's I've had uh, three experiences specific and well, three in my adult life. I think one in childhood. I'm so too. curious to hear. Well, I mean, I was actually it's funny. I had um, I had just been told that they were going to bring through their second trilogy of books. And I my life was about to fall. I think maybe it had just fallen apart. Like after they said these books are coming, everything fell apart around me. The dog died. The apartment building got sold. I threw my back out. I put on weight. It was like, you know, everything went Um, But they had started doing this attunement in groups where they would walk around the room and my hands would be held before me as if I had something that was being held, you know, in my in my upwardly raised hands. And the guys would walk around the room and they would look at everybody in the eye and they would give them this claim that they would then repeat. And that's when my eyes started turning blue or when I began to hear about this, you know, your eyes turn bright blue. It's like, okay, this is interesting. And then I had a hypnosis session, which I just thought was going to be kind of interesting, you know, and I was sort of game for it. And halfway through the session, this guy that I really barely know, but he knew my work, said, and now we're going to ask your guides to come in. 
And I was uh, like, okay, right. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, there was this being sitting next to me on a bench. And he had a great big hat on, you know, it was kind of interesting. It had sort of a peaked skull cap kind of thing going on with, it's like something you'd wear to graduation with like a mortar board on top, but it went way, way, way high. And then the board was up at the very, very top. So it was several feet up. It looked a little bit like the, what the Greek Orthodox priests wear, but it was different. It wasn't that. And, um, you know, it was sort of a robe, you know, and a long beard and blue, blue, beautiful eyes that were just deep and held me I have to say, in such compassion that I recognized it. I just recognized that this is who had been speaking through me. It felt like him. But it was interesting because he was holding this sort of rod, this staff that had gold. It was gold. It was solid. But it had not hieroglyphics. or They were expressed. I don't know what that's called. When the, when the, when the, the right embossed, I suppose, raised hieroglyphics were on this thing. You know, not carved, but raised. And he was showing me this thing. And then I heard the thought, this is what we attune people with. And then it was gone, you know. And then the next time I was walking around the room doing this attunement where I was staring at people's eyes, I looked down and I realized that's what I'd been holding was that thing. And that startled me. But that was the first encounter. And it explained something that perhaps I needed explained. Um, once I was here, and it was funny because I was doing a CTR conference, and one of the other participants offered to take us all in a guided meditation. And I'm like, oh, I hate these things. Oh, but I was going to be like a good guy. And I showed up at this person's guided meditation, and I'm lying on the yurt. And I had just done an interview with a woman who was presenting at the, at the conference, who was an anthropologist, who kept saying to me, but how do you know it's not you? How do you know it's not you? And I was like saying, well, I think, you know, no matter how articulate I may be, I can't verbally dictate seven books, now seven books that require no editing. I don't know, but how do you know it's not? So I'm like getting in a snit, you know, and only because I don't know how it works. Who the hell knows? But then I went and I tried to explain it. And then I went to this guided meditation. I'm lying in my back in the yurt, resenting the fact that I'm not like soaking in a hot tub when I'm lying there in the yurt. <laughs> and this woman takes us down, you know, down a path in the garden into a nail. This long, long journey down into basically is kind of like a ravine beautiful ravine, much like there are at Esalen, you know, you're walking down a path and there you are. And then there she said, and you're down here at the basement and now your guide is going to come in. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. And I looked up and there was the same guide with the robe barreling down the hill out of breath, holding these two scrolls. It looked almost like the Torah. You know, I'm thinking, what the hell is this? But clearly he'd been summoned. And he basically looked at me and said, stop trying to explain to people who you are. You don't know. <laughs> and then he left. And it was the funniest thing, but it was the perfect thing for me to hear in that day. Yeah. Because I'd been trying to give some kind of narrative to this crazy experience that I seem to have that has a validity to it that I just can't deny anymore. It happens too often, you know, and it happens with with 
affect, I suppose. That was the last time. But when I was a child, there was an experience of something. It was my only out-of-body experience. And I am beginning to equate that experience with what now is occurring, you know. So, and that was very important to me in my childhood. I'm going to try to speak a little bit more intelligently about my concern here. Mm-hmm. Would, it, would it be okay for the world if Homo sapiens was gone? I hear not necessarily. You can learn through that. You can learn through that. But you'll still be somewhere, but you'll still be somewhere having an experience, having an experience. You're here to learn. You're here to learn. You're choosing how you learn. You are choosing how you learn. Know it or not. Know it or not. You're all in agreement to what you see, whether or not you know it, whether or not you know it. You see out the window. You're in agreement to see to what you see out the window on the other side of the world. And by agreement, we mean, and by agreement, we mean in co with in co-resonance with. If you change the accord, if you change the accord of vibration you sing at or vibration you sing at as the energetic field, as the energetic field, you lift to a new potential, you lift to a new potential. You will not find that. You will not find that by fighting your fellows, by fighting your fellows, denying nature, denying nature, suppressing love, suppressing love, but you will find it. But you will find it through a new agreement, through a new agreement to who and what you truly are, to who and what you truly are. Humanity itself, humanity itself is the seed of the divine, is the seed of the divine, as is any flower, as is any flower, any star, or any star in your realization. And your realization of this will not only transform you, will not only transform you, but your encounter with the world, but your encounter with the world, your encounter with the world, your encounter with the world in a higher note, in a higher note, or higher accord, or higher accord, reclaims the world, reclaims the world in a higher octave, in a higher octave. You can dismiss humanity, you can dismiss humanity or write it off or write it off, but then you must also write off, but then you must also write off the aspect of the creator, the aspect of the creator that has come as each of you, that has come as each of you, that is seeking to be renowned, that is seeking to be renowned, rearticulated, rearticulated in manifestation, in manifestation. Humanity is not doomed. Humanity is not doomed, although you may choose it, although you may choose it. A choice is to learn. A choice is to learn. You can learn through love. You can learn through love and the gifts of love and the gifts of love. Or you can learn, or you can learn through each other through condemning each other and blowing yourselves up and blowing yourselves up, period. Are we in a crucial time for our, for our species? I get absolutely yes. And that whole last thing was the guides. I mean, it's just the whisper and repeat is always the guides. Absolutely. They're saying absolutely yes. And you have been and you have been. And this is a great opportunity. And this is great opportunity. It is opportunity. It is opportunity to change, to change, to reno, to reno, to reconfigure, to reconfigure everything you're seeing. Everything you are seeing is the action of fear, is the action of fear seeking its domain, seeking its domain. It has been shown. It has been shown. It is not hiding. It is not hiding. You can see the monster in the bed. You can see the monster under the bed. Stop pretending it's not there. Stop pretending it's not there. Once you realize you've created the monster, once you realize that you've created the monster, it can be transformed. It cannot be transformed, but not as you're running from it, but not as you're running from it. Manifestation. Manifestation through the collective consciousness, through the collective consciousness is what you are speaking to, is what you are speaking to. But any individual, but any individual can re-know the world, can re-know the world and re-knowing the world. And in re-knowing the world, the world has changed. The world is changed, period. And they're saying, period. 
what? It's it's so it's so interesting to ask questions during this interview because I know it it can go. <laughs> yeah, is it okay that I'm taking a second just to, yeah, to think about it? Fine. Okay. So sometimes when I think about Esalen having existed for mm-hmm. sixty years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and while all the other retreat centers have have faded away, I know that it was so much has to do with Big Sur. I mean, I don't you know I don't know if they've talked about this. Um, and I hear we won't. Or they're saying you know where you are. No, right? You know its properties. I mean, I do hear it's beyond what you think, and it's an activation. It's an activation center. It always has been. It always has been. So, so great potential is here. Exactly right. But what they're showing me kind of is like a popcorn popper. So, like you come here and you get popped. You know what I mean? You get opened up and you get startled into into new awareness in this way. I hear it's always been this way. You know, I don't know if I ever told you my weird little Esalen story, you know. You know, I, the only reason I have, a, quote, a career, if you want to call it that, or I'm known for the work that I do is because of Esalen. And I'm very grateful to Esalen. As a result of this, I was uh, a full-time academic. I had appointments at NYU, and I was at, running a master's program at Goddard College, where I'm actually now on the board but I was hiding in my work, pretty much. What does that mean? Hiding meant I didn't, I, you know, I was, I had a little group that met in my apartment once a week and met most, mostly on, I would say on and off, but mostly on for about 18 years, where this was, was the laboratory for the work. And, um, but I didn't have a website. I didn't have, I mean, I got a website finally without my name on it or my picture because I, you had a, you know, it was like a speakeasy. You had to know somebody to get in, to get an appointment with me. And you'd only be invited to the workshop that met in my apartment if you knew somebody because I was nervous of judgment and I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't. I just do it publicly now and I say I don't know what I'm doing. I got, I I ended up channeling this book, I Am the Word, uh, over the phone to this woman, Victoria Nelson, who had taught here at times and was friends with Jeff Kripal, who's now the head of the board here. And she told Jeff he had to meet me. He showed up in my apartment in New York for a reading, and I guess I stepped into his wife, because I have this odd ability to step into people and start to resemble them and become them and hear them, and that's it's, it's the more psychic work. And that freaked him out, because I looked just like his wife, you know, and I'm a, a bearded man, and his, I was like probably then 40, late by my late 40s, I'm in my 50s now. And then he came back for the group that night that I had in my apartment. And then I got this odd invitation to channel at a CTR conference here, the Center for Theory and Research. And my roommate for this thing was the former head of the secret spying program of the CIA and Jacques Belay, the UFO. Big wings were there. And I was this guy from Manhattan, you know, who'd never really channeled much out of his living room. But I did it. And I had brought a copy of I Am the Word, the first book that had been just copied at Kinko's the night before. It went into the suitcase warm. I think I put a few copies in at Victoria Nelson's suggestion. She was a smart lady. I channeled here. Mike Murphy and his wife were here, you know, and they were, you know, and it's like, and I heard that there like been a, a ban on channeling since the 70s here or something. There was somebody named Jenny in the Nines who caused all sorts of stuff to happen. So it wasn't a popular activity here, but I channeled here and the editor 
The vice president of Tarcher Penguin Books happened to be in the symposium, took the copy of the book with him on the plane, wrote me from the plane saying this is really interesting, and then invited me to his office when, pretty much when he landed, you know, and it was on the shelves in months. It never even got submitted. And the Murphys, which I'm grateful for, verified the validity of the work that I was doing here. Um, and said he should come and teach. And I've looked at this place as ground zero for this work ever since. They've dictated chunks of at least three books here in front of students. So I'm profoundly affected by this place. I also had a dream before I ever came here about the place. I didn't ever knew what it was like, but I dreamt I walked into this kitchen. I, I dreamt I was on a chartered bus. I went into this place where there was this house, which was now like the Murphy house. I was told I was invited to be here, you know, by now who I think is Dick Price, which is even stranger, who's already crossed. But he showed me a plaque on the building out front, which was Price House, and um, showed me everybody's names. And he said, and there you are down at the bottom, you know, and I went, wow. But I didn't know it was Esalen until I came here for my first workshop and I saw the place and I saw, you know, the Murphy House and the Price House. And I went, wow. So that's my SLN story, such as it is. I don't know. There's more to come, I'm sure. Well, this is just an honest question. Mm -hmm. um, I saw that you'd done interviews with Aubrey Marcus and J.P. Sears, and they're both pretty awesome. Yeah. I, was, I was curious to know um, how you felt about working with each, each of those guys. And there was Duncan Trussell, too. It was, a, it was a fun series of interviews. I felt very good. Aubrey has become a friend, and he's um, he's written in the he's written the introduction to the next book that's coming out. She'll be out in August. I have to say, you know, I don't know anybody, you know, and I don't even. I know this is a podcast, but I don't even know how to download a podcast. I mean, I'm, you know, it's like not my thing. You know, I'm just like older, I guess. But I went to Aubrey's interview not knowing what to expect, and he had really read the books. He really, and it was like, whoa. So suddenly we're having this really intense connection and he's asking these questions as, I have to say, a, a completely earnest seeker. You know, there was no pretense, no nothing. And we sort of met in this funny place of recognition and the guides just, I think they enjoyed the hell out of it, you know. JP... I knew who JP was, you know, I'd seen him on social media. I didn't know what to expect because I thought, is this going to be like a comedy interview? What am I going to do? It was really interesting. And when, when that interview was broadcast, he did something very, very generous. He actually, at the very beginning, said, okay, everybody, you're not going to know what to think of this guy. And, you know, I can just say that I felt it. It was real to me. And it was, again, a great talk, but he allowed himself to be read. And I read for him and his wife later, you know, at, a, at, a, at an event. So that's kind of brave for anybody to be read. Duncan, I, I have to say, I, you know, I didn't know who anybody was, truthfully. And I got invited to Channel Live in Brooklyn, like at a bar where he was doing this thing. And I, like, didn't want to go, you know. I was like, I had a cold. I don't want to go. And I went there, you know, with my cold. 
And there were all these kids in the house, you know, all these, you know, 20-somethings or 30-somethings, you know. And he's a really good interviewer. He made it really safe for me. And the guides came through, and they attuned the whole audience live. And then the kids started coming up with their questions. And there was this line of kids. I think they felt the energy. I think people... I mean, you know, Duncan was going, my God, this is blowing my mind. I can feel this, you know. But there was a, a, a lovely respect there for this. And I was thrilled. And I have to say, because of these three men and their support of the work, um, I, when, I, when I run a workshop now, I did a thing in Denver just a few weeks ago. Just in the evening, there was a couple hundred people there, and probably a third of the audience looked to be 30, 32 and under. And that was great for me because it was it was sort of, it's exciting. I was a college teacher for a hundred years, you know. I like working with that. With I like that. It's good. It's comfortable for me. And, you know, with the workshops, you know, some people used to say, well, channeling, that's like my what my mother's crowd is into. You know, it was, it was uh, sort of locked into the 1970s, I suppose, or maybe the 80s. So I'm really excited. But also, you know, and I don't do plant medicine. That's not been part of my path. I'm actually, you know, haven't had anything in my system stronger than Advil since 1987. And that's just my choice. I don't know how I'm wired anymore. And it's not that I'm not interested, but I find it very interesting that people come to these things and they have these experiences of the energy and they say, it's just like plant medicine, you know, it's like, I feel it. It's like, yeah. And I kind of go, I did a workshop in Boone, North Carolina, and the guide sent everybody out to walk around after this attunement. And people came back and said, everything is moving. The leaves are alive. Everything is moving. And that seems to be what the guides are working with now. And I don't think it's for the fun of it. I think it's about realizing that the source of all things is all in vibration and tone and can be experienced that way. And if it can be experienced that way, it actually can be renowned, which is what they're teaching now, sort of rearticulation of form. Could I ask on, on behalf of the listeners, could, is there a way that the guides can give the listeners any sort of assignment as in to be in their field? Well, they're, they're saying, do they want to? You're assuming they want to. You're assuming they want to, and they may like where they are, and they may like where they are if they wish to learn. If they wish to learn, they may choose. They may choose. Claim that they have the right. Claim that they have the right to know themselves to know themselves in a higher way. In a higher way, they will be met by that claim. They will be met by that claim, and the teaching will come, and the teaching will come in the form that is perfect for them. In the form that is perfect for them, as we are teachers, as we are teachers, we are present. We are present, but not the only but we are not the only school of adaptability, of adaptability or alignment or alignment to what exists beyond, to what exists beyond, if they wish to know themselves. If they wish to know themselves, the claim I know who I am, the claim I know who I am in truth, in truth, I know what I am in truth, I know what I am in truth, I know how I serve in truth. I am free, I am free, I am free, will support their alignment, will support their alignment in vibration, in vibration, but the ramifications choice. But the ramifications of the choice to make these claims, to make these claims is to attune the radio that they are, is to attune the radio that they are, to play a broadcast, to play a broadcast that will be available, that will be available to them, but they must tune the radio to it, but they must tune the radio to it to grow comfortable, to grow comfortable in the new alignment, in the new alignment. Their lives will change, their lives 
will change, not always in comfort, not always in comfort, but always in high regard, but always in high regard to their individual requirements, to their individual requirements for, for progression, period. Saying period. I mean, on a simple level, you know, if somebody wants to do something really simple, you know, go outside and see the divine in everyone who passes by. You know, the guides say you can't be the light and hold another in darkness and what you damn damns you back. And it's a very simple exercise to claim or see what must be there, the true self, the divine self that must be in everyone or anything. You know, regardless of what you might think of them as a personality or their behavior, what they've done or how they seem. And just doing that in and of itself will probably lift the vibration of the viewer to a a higher perspective and a new potential of being in the world. I'm I'm going to try to reframe my concerns from earlier by by putting it in a personal context. Feeling so politically uh, impotent in the face of what what I what I, what I fear. What what can I do personally? They're they're telling me to tune into you, so I'm going to see what you want to tell me first. The first thing you come through, sort of arguing and announcing is, I need to be the one who's right. You know, the guides say, say this, and they're saying to say this, they say, you know, self-righteousness is always the small self. It's always the personality structure. And when you, they're saying when you combat with this energy, you claim in accord to, in accord to. So you sort of are operating at the level of the thing that you say you don't want. So I'm going to ask you at a higher level what I what you might do so you know you're acknowledging that sort of the manifestation of fear is all around you so what do you do with that learn to bless it learn to bless it you really learn to bless it that doesn't, that doesn't mean condone it say this what the guides are teaching is that the and this isn't a new teaching but it's the realization of the inherent divine in anyone or anything is what transforms them so they've been teaching this thing called the upper room, which they say is this new octave. And they say everything can be lifted to the upper room. But what you can't lift to the upper room is what you're frightened of or what you're damning or in judgment of. Because you can't claim the inherent divine and in what you fear or what you judge. And that's a simple action. Um, you know, so they say you can't lift the terrible man or the terrible politician or whatever you want to say. You can't lift that being to the upper room as long as you're making him terrible. But what you can do is claim the truth that must be there, which is the essence of the divine that must be present in all matter. And then work with that, because that will lift the being to the upper room and lift your relationship to it. Now, they're teaching alchemy. They're not teaching ignoring or spiritual bypassing or putting a Band-Aid on stuff or pretending it's not there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the guides are the first ones to say, if you're walking down the street and you see a fight, break up the fight. You know what I mean? You're, you're not passive to what you see. But then the question becomes, what aspect of you is coming forth? Who's breaking up the fight? Is it the one who demands people behave? Or is it the part of you that knows that the well-being of both parties is what's essential here? 
You understand? And that's my example, breaking up the fight. So I might have said it wrong, not quite right. They're saying not quite right. You can realize the meaning of both fighters. You can realize the divinity in both the fighters and break up the fight and break up the fight between the North fighters. But to realize the divinity in both fighters is to end the fight, is to end the fight because the fight does not exist, because the fight does not exist at that level of agreement, at that level of agreement or vibrational accord or vibrational accord. You become an activist. You become an activist and activist of the divine self, of the divine self as expressed, as expressed, not the man who is so frustrated, not the man who is so frustrated and wants to fix the world and wants to fix the world, doesn't know how and doesn't know how. I mean, what the guides are teaching now, truthfully, you know, is, well, I mean, I'll, I'll probably say it wrong, but, you know, they're teaching the kingdom and they say the kingdom is the awareness of the inherent divine in all manifestation. And they say that the realization of that is what brings it into being, not the running from the fear or the denial of the stuff that's there. You know, they say if the divine is all things, it's in your fingernails and your eyelashes and your feces and the one next door, it's birth and death and all things. And the exclusion of everything or anything from that actually is what creates this sense of separation that seems to be invigorating itself so readily these days. So this is potentially a time of great opportunity. And I hear if we take it, you know, and we may need a hard wake-up call, and we may get it in order to realize what we've been doing. And, 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 and that felt good. That felt good to, to finally get inside of, of that question. Uh-huh. That felt good. Um, I guess I just want to I want to talk about joy and and love and and connection, and I don't really know how to how to even phrase a question or or have an entry point, but I just wanted to to see like what 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 do, what did the guides feel or respond to just with something that general? They're saying, "What do you want to know about it? How do you want to be taught?" Well, feeling how can I access more of it? Joy. You're aligning to it, aligning to who you are, as joyful as joyful, and not predicating joy on something else. Something outside yourself, or getting what you want, or getting what you want, or being who you should be, or being who you should be. It can be done in a moment. It can be known in a moment through agreement to it, through an agreement to it. It's a level of strata. It's a level or strata, vibration of vibration, less so emotion, less so emotion than you may think, than you may think. To align to joy, to align to joy is to align to all the joy there is is to align to all the joy there is, not just your personal preference for it, not just your personal preference for it, period. They're saying period. I feel like it could be fun to do a, a personal thing, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll just see how effective I have. I've been doing it all week, so, you know, it's probably fine. But just what are you asking? Can you... you, you you're, a, you're a psychic for the uh, living. Uh-huh. Can you bring my father in? Is that possible? Is he living? Yeah. I can do my best. We'll see what we get. I'm going to go to you first, tune into you first, because that's how I get the father. Then I'll ask for his name. You're coming through going, oh, man, do I really want this? That's like, what did I just ask? Give me his whole name. (laughs) That's how he comes through. You know his face. I don't know his face. Is he comfortable like that? 
He's kind of having a ball. Is that, does that smile real? Yes. <laughs> Why is he so happy to see me? His, this isn't about you. He doesn't even know you're in the room. I just tuned into him right now. I mean, for all I know, he's watching a ball game and having a blast. Oh, I really don't he's know. With, he's with little kids right now. He's oh, with that my would do it. Kids. That would do it. Yeah. I mean, he was being big and goofy. Oh, you know, it was a big awesome. smile. So yeah, I tune when I step into somebody first. Either I'm getting them in relation to it first of all. So if you say, okay, well, I'm estranged from my father, I'll tune into the estrangement. You know, I'll tune into the attitude and what's going on there. And it may not be what you think, what I may get. When I just step into somebody as they are, sometimes I'll get the emotional hit. Other times I'll just get them as they are. So I remember tuning into some, I was reading for some woman and she asked me to tune into her son and my eyes started burning and it was chemicals. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm getting a chemical burn. She got so frightened. She called him while we were in the session and she hung up the phone and she said, he just got out of a chlorinated pool. His eyes are beat red, you know, and that's what I was feeling. But I didn't, I didn't have any context for that. Now, if it happened again, I might question, was this chlorination, you know? Yeah. But what do you want to know about your father and the relationship? Mm. We're pretty, we're pretty open with each other, but I, I kind of have this thing where uh, I get upset with him and I get into this pattern of like over scolding and being Let like, me tune into you to him. Well, when I tune into you, you actually come through saying, why don't you tell me what I want? So you do come through with a little bit of an agenda with him. And it's just about being agreed with. Yeah. Now, it's not a bad thing. It's actually kind of almost like where you get to meet as men. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I get to be right. So you get to say, I get to be right. I'm a child anymore. And with that, there's a little bit of, I'm not your child anymore. So it's about being an equal. That's all. Let me go from him to that, if you say so. His attitude is, if you say so. That's fine with me. That's fine with me. Just make, does it make you happy? So he's easy at that level. Um, this Your father doesn't have an axe to grind that I can feel, frankly, with anything right now. So he's actually finding himself and he's sort of coming to the strange place of it doesn't matter what people do, which for him is a little bit of a big deal. So he's, if I'm right with this and I'm getting a nod, he's coming to this sort of high place of what if it doesn't matter? And what if it doesn't matter is unattachment. Do you know what I mean? Like, what if it doesn't matter if he's not a doctor? What if it doesn't matter if, you know... If, if, you know, we don't pay off the mortgage, like, what if it doesn't matter? Which is kind of great liberation. And that's kind of the first face I was getting was, you know, yay. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's how I get him. That's cool. Uh-huh. Thanks for tuning into that. You're welcome. We, we had this this great interaction that I remember when I took your class and you did a just a reading on me. And it was, oh my God, it was so wonderful. You, you, you embodied a really vulnerable and embarrassing side of me in this really just compassionate, open and honest way where uh, you're like looking up, be like, is anybody looking at me? And you're, you're kind of looking around, you're waiting for that, that affirmation that you need. Uh-huh. I was wondering if you could just put a read on me now. I can step into you. I know more about you now because I actually have, have I'm familiar with your work. So let me um, let me tune into you. Just give me your whole name first. All your names. Samuel Benjamin Stern. I can do this. You're actually like coming through. Like man, I can do this. Oh the fuck! Like holy fuck! I can do this. I can do this. And with that, you start licking your lips and you start shaking your butt, which means. 
you think you're hot, and that's kind of lusty. The licking of the lips is lusty. But it's lusty for, I almost want to say, I mean, when I go to you, I almost like want to make love to the planet. You know, it's a bigger thing. Um, this is where you are. I, this is like where you are and where you're going and where you're going. You've denounced fear. I actually hear, I don't know if this is true, I've been saying you've denounced fear. You got bored with yourself. You got bored with yourself as somebody who was waiting on the bench, as somebody who was waiting on the bench. Let me go play. Let me go play. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to have a good time. They break my head open, so what? If they break my head open, so what? This is how you come through. Let me tune into you again. You're actually coming, you're saying to me, I'm ready to know myself beyond what I've known. And you're willing, you're saying, I'm willing to find out what that means. But you see, the gift, you're saying, I don't have to know now. And that seems to be what's sort of breaking your head open. Because then suddenly it becomes possible to know. You're also operating in a belief that you were supposed to be something or someone, but both, that you're not. And that kind of feels like it hit like an aha moment. And you're basically like, who the fuck told me that? Why did I buy that? Why did I buy that? Like, why did that seem like a good idea? What was I like, what was I thinking? This is so much better. Whatever this is feels so much better. The primary feeling here when I go to you is of you looking before you in a real awareness of possibility. You're saying I'm not looking backward. And this is finally, I have to say. Does it make any sense? It's how oh, I yeah. get you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it feels good. Good. That's where you are today. Uh-huh. Ask me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> What's your five-year plan, 10-year plan? You know, I've, I've made jokes about people asking me this question before and how I'm like the worst person to ask because I don't have one. I would like to, I would say I would like to have a partner. I would like to move to the West Coast. I would like to, you know, have, because I travel so much, have a home that I could return to and, you know, maybe a pool to float in, you know, things like that. You know, those kinds of things I think about. But I don't know. And the guy that just did this huge lecture like two days ago about how what we want is always coming from a catalog of what we think we're allowed to have. And that's a catalog that's actually very much the construct of culture. Do you know? It's good to have a house. It's good to have a partner. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things. So I don't have a five-year plan. I know that what, what has been the rate of your books coming out? Is it like one a year? Almost, yeah. Are five more going to come out in five years? Well, there's. I was just about to say that. I mean, there's one due in August. I agree to another trilogy. So the first, um, it comes out in August this year. The second one needs to be delivered to the publisher, I think, at the end of September, and the following one. So I know that the next two years are about delivering these books. I'd like to write... Maybe I say hesitantly a memoir about my experience with this stuff only because it might help me understand it. I would love to see that. You know, I'm not necessarily the best student of the work that comes through me. I work much better with it than I used to, and I I feel more integrated with it than I used to. But my journey into this stuff has been anything but graceful. 
and it wasn't a great deal of fun. I'm starting to have fun, which is shocking to me that it can happen that way. And I'm starting to look at the world as the guides have been instructing as with great possibility. It's all possible, you know. But if I were to outline a five-year plan, I would be doing that by reference of what I think it's supposed to be. Hopefully the books will come out. I have no idea. That's about it. Paul, what would you say is your secret superpower? What's something that you're really good at that people just don't know about you? Knowing who people are. You know, I can do that psychically, but that's only one way of knowing, you know. I mean, I don't know if I have a superpower. Maybe this is all a superpower for me. It's just the way that I operate, and it's somewhat normal to me now. And I don't think of myself as special, and I think that's important. You know, I'm really not into that stuff. Um, because I think that's a trap to get into. I think I've developed in ways that are highly unlikely, given how I was brought up. I was raised sort of an atheist, you know. We weren't very woo-woo. So superpower involves the idea that it can't be done by others, I think. And I think if I do anything, I show people what can be you know, what is available, I'm, you know, an ex-college teacher in his 50s. I'm single. I live in New York. I have a little dog. You know, I travel a lot. I have things I worry about too much. You know, it's, um, it's just a life. And there are ways that this life expresses that I hope create opportunities for others to live a bigger life than they might know that they can have. And that's exciting to me. You know, I was a teacher and I was a good teacher in a classroom for a long time. And the guides that come through me are better teachers than I am. So I get to be around that, which is exciting. And maybe they have a superpower. I could just say my eyes turn blue when my spirit guides come through. That's my superpower. And we can leave it at that. Paul Selig, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Geraldyn Hess, Lori Putnam, Shannon Hudson, and Ian Golden. Our music is by Nico Holloman. If you'd like to hear more episodes, please find us on iTunes. And if you like what you're hearing, take a second to subscribe, rate us, and review. You can also find all of our episodes at our website, esalen.org. That's E-S-A-L-E-N.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Programs like this one are made possible by the support of our donors. Thank you so much for your contributions to our world.